Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now here's this week's message. The first scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of the gospel. Uh, Our second scripture reading, our focus text today, comes from the 27th chapter of Acts. And you're more than welcome to follow along in the Pew Bible, but I'll be reading from uh, a version called the Common English Bible. And I just encourage you, because it'll be a little long, to just sit back, because this is a really good story. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. Just by way of context, this is towards the end of the book of Acts, um, uh, and it takes place after the Apostle Paul has been in prison for some time um, on a variety of different charges, but he has made an appeal to uh, be judged before the emperor in Rome, and so he's making his way from Judea to Rome, and that's where the story takes place on that journey. When it was determined that we were to sail to Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were put in the custody of a centurion. His name was Julius. He was of the imperial company. We boarded a ship from Adramidium that was about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. So we put out to sea and Aristarchus, who was a Macedonian from Thessalonica, he came with us. The next day we landed at Sidon. Julius treated Paul very kindly and permitted him to go to some friends so they could take care of him. From there, we sailed on. We passed Cyprus and used the island to shelter us from headwinds. We sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We landed in Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. It was headed for Italy, and so he put us on board. After many days, though, of slow and difficult sailing, we arrived off the coast of Sinaitis. The wind wouldn't allow us to go any further, so we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. We sailed along the coast, but it was with great difficulty until finally we came to a place called Good Harbors near the city of Lycia. Now, at this point, much time had been lost, and the voyage was dangerous because winter was approaching. Paul warned the sailors and the soldiers, Men, I see that our voyage will suffer 
great damage and loss, not only for the cargo and the ship, but also for our lives. But the centurion didn't heed Paul's words. He was more persuaded by the ship's pilot and captain than Paul. Since the harbor was unsuitable for spending the winter, the majority supported a plan to put out to sea from there. They thought they might reach a place called Phoenix in Crete and spend the winter there. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they could carry out this plan. They pulled up anchor and sailed close along the coast of Crete. But before long, a hurricane-force wind known as the Nor'easter, swept down from Crete. And fearing that they might run aground on the sandbars of the Gulf of Sirtis, they lowered the anchor and let the ship be carried along. We were so battered by the violent storm that the next day, the men began throwing cargo overboard. On the third day, they even picked up the ship's tackle. They hurled that into the sea. When neither the sun nor the moon appeared for many days and the storm raged around us, all hope of our being saved from this peril faded. Now for a long time, no one had eaten. Paul stood among them and he said, Men, you should have complied with my instructions not to sail from Crete. We would have avoided all this damage and loss. But now I urge you to be encouraged. Because not one of your lives will be lost, though we will lose the ship. You see, last night an angel from God, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, stood beside me. The angel said, don't be afraid, Paul. You will stand before Caesar. Indeed, God has also graciously given you everyone sailing with you. So be encouraged. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as the angel told me. However, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were being carried along across the Adriatic Sea. Around midnight, the sailors began to suspect that land was near, and afraid that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they hurled out four anchors from the stern to slow the ship. They prayed for daylight, But in the night, the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat into the sea, pretending they were lowering anchors from the bow. But Paul was wise to their plan. He said to the centurion, unless they stay in the ship, we cannot be saved from this peril. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before daybreak, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, this is the 14th day. We've all been living in suspense, and none of us have had a bite to eat. So I urge you to take some food. Your strength depends on it. I assure you, not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. When he'd said these things, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and they all began to eat. Everyone was encouraged and took food. In the morning light, they saw a bay that had a sandy beach. They didn't know what island it was, but they thought it might possibly be a good island to run the ship aground. So they cut the anchors loose and left them in the sea, and they untied the ropes that ran back to the rudders. They raised the foresail to catch the wind, and they made for the beach. But 
Right before they made it there, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow was stuck. It wouldn't move. The stern of the ship was broken into pieces by the force of the waves, and the ship began to sink. At that moment, the soldiers determined that they were going to kill the prisoners rather than allow them to swim to shore and escape. But the centurion, Julius, he wanted to save Paul, so he stopped the soldiers from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and head for land. And he ordered the rest to grab hold of planks or debris from the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Now that is a Bible story. How many of you have heard this story before? Just one or two. That's fair enough. I was not particularly familiar with it either, despite the fact that I am a sucker for seafaring stories. But, you know, this, this story is tucked in at the very end of the book of Acts after all the good stuff has already happened. You had Pentecost right at the beginning when the Holy Spirit came down. You had Peter's sermon. You had Peter and the other disciples performing miracles. The story of Paul's conversion. Now, that story we heard about Paul in jail and earthquake coming and knocking the jail down. And then you get to this section of the book of Acts that's all about the lengthy legal process that unfolds as Paul is imprisoned. Just as in our time, the wheels of justice turned very slowly in Paul's day. And those chapters, they drag on some. And so you'll be forgiven if you didn't make it to the end of the book of Acts where, this, where the good stuff is. Close readers of the book of Acts estimate that Paul actually spent between five and six years in prison. Most of the ones we're familiar with are his early sort of shorter stints in prison in one or another place. But but he was in prison during this time of trial for years upon years upon years. But Paul was willing to give up that time for the sake of the gospel. More than that, though, Paul was willing to give up Not just his time, but his very life, his bodily health. In Philippi, for instance, he was beaten and jailed. Then, when he was given a chance to escape, he sacrificed his freedom so the jailer wouldn't suffer. He narrowly escaped imprisonment in Thessalonica. He was nearly killed in a riot in Ephesus. Paul has risked his neck on multiple occasions, but perhaps no more so than this voyage beset by ill winds and bad weather, a voyage that Paul even knew was not going to end well. But of course, it's not just Paul on the boat. He's there with his fellow prisoners. He's there with the soldiers and the centurions, the sailors who run the ship, and presumably the author of this detailed eyewitness account of the story, Perhaps they were on the boat with Paul. But through it all, through the storm, through the night, Paul is confident that they will survive. He's confident that they will survive, but only if they stick together. At every moment of tension, Paul reassures and admonishes again and again that they have to stick together and stay hopeful. Stick together and stay hopeful. 
even after days on end, after they've thrown everything out of the boat, Paul says, even now God has assured them that they will be delivered. It'll cost them the ship, but their lives will be preserved. The sailors, though, they don't believe him. They try to make their sneaky getaway, but Paul gets wise to the plan, and he says, no, we have to stick together. We have to stay hopeful. That's the only way we're going to get this ship to shore. And so they cut away the lifeboat. They cut away the anchors. They cut away and threw away basically everything that would give them any control over this ship until it started heaving slowly towards this island. The ship held 267 souls, we are told. And they had made it so far, they made it so close to that nice tropical Mediterranean beach. Can you just picture the white sand and the clear blue water? So lovely, so welcoming after so many days on a rough and tumultuous sea. And they were so close. And then they hit a sandbar and the ship started to break apart. And the soldiers, the soldiers were afraid. They weren't just afraid for their lives. They were afraid that they'd lose control of the prisoners they'd been charged with, that those prisoners would go free. And the soldiers would rather that the prisoners die than be free. Can you imagine being so fearful about people having the right to live freely that you'd rather they were dead. Of course, we don't have to imagine it. This is something we see again and again. We see, we saw it three years ago when we saw a police officer kill George Floyd on a Minneapolis street, refusing to let him breathe just because he was big and black. We see it just this week in the country of Uganda where they passed a law that effectively gives life sentences or even the death penalty to same-gender loving people. We see it on the battlefields of Ukraine. An invading army seeks to claim sovereignty over a people who are free rather than allow them to be free. But it's not just the powers and principalities. We see this closer to home. We see that so often our own fear comes with what we can't control, what we can't understand. And that fear of the loss of control is at the heart of a great deal of our grievances, grievances that can turn into division and animosity. But today, Paul reminds us of the heart of the gospel, that common ground, that the only way to survive is to stay together and to stay hopeful. And the amazing thing is, the centurion in this story seems to have picked up on that message. He seems to have gotten the message. He wanted to save Paul's life, and not just Paul, but all of the prisoners, even if it meant potentially sacrificing his own life if his soldiers uh, uh, engaged in mutiny against him. If If, as the soldiers feared, the prisoners escaped... The centurion would have been the one to take the blame as well. So he has skin in the game in allowing them to swim to shore on their own. He takes the risk. He puts his life on the line so that Paul and the others may live. 
And as we heard from John's gospel, that makes this centurion named Julius a friend to Jesus. Because Jesus said that whoever keeps his commandments, he calls friend. And the greatest commandment, he said, was to love one another. And the greatest form of love, he says, is to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I think this is something that we can lose sight of in the church. When we think of our friend Jesus, we often think about what he does for us. But rarely do we think about this demand he places upon us. Because what Jesus demands in commanding us to love as he loved is nothing less than putting our lives on the line, not for our own gain, not even just for the welfare of our families or those we love, but those whom Jesus loves. It's that kind of love that so powerfully formed the early church. It's that kind of self-sacrificing love that we see throughout the Acts of the Apostles in the life of Peter and Paul. These people who expressed the love of Christ by their willingness to lay down their lives again and again and again so that people may find belonging, may find hope in the community of Christ. And I think that the first Christian churches must have been places where people experienced the power of that self-sacrificing love, so much so that they couldn't help but want to be a part of it. A church that is not willing to put its life on the line for its mission is not long for this world. But a church that lays down its life so that it may take up the gospel of Jesus Christ, it may not arrive at its intended destination, but it will arrive somewhere safely upon the shore. The story shows that it may take a stormy night, even a shipwreck or two. But, but as the story ends, we hear that when all 67 people made it to the beach... What they experienced there on that strange new shore in that strange new place was a reception by the natives of the island. And it says they were received with extraordinary kindness. There was a man on the island. It was the island of Malta. Uh, he was named Publius. He took Paul and his companions into his home. And the story goes that when Paul was there, he met Publius's father, who was sick with dysentery and fever. And Paul, having learned that he was sick, he went into him and he prayed over him and he laid hands upon him and the man was cured. And then they proceeded on the rest of their journey to Italy. Friends, on the other side of a shipwreck, there was this strange new shore, but what they found there was not strange. They found people who were ready to help and they found people who needed help. And that is what we too can expect to find when we embrace the message of Christ, not just a little bit, but with our whole selves. We will find strangers who need our help and strangers who can help us. May we be a people, may we be a church that is willing to put our lives on the line to create that kind of community where strangers may become friends. Amen.
Thank you for listening. To find out more about Union Congregational Church and our life together, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or find us on social media, at Church by the Park. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.